hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson. And Jasmine Allnut. And we're so excited to bring you another edition of Women Worth Knowing. Yes. You know what? We don't even cue each other. We just come in we at just the right know. time. We just exactly. know. We know what we're doing. <laughs> um, so Jasmine, you're going to be so interested in the woman I'm bringing. Mm, okay. You know why? Why? Because... Francesca French wrote a biography on her. Really? That's interesting. Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. Remember her, folks. Yes. It's called Miss Brown's Hospital, Hmm. the story of Lelude Hiana, and I'm probably butchering that, medical college. Interesting. Where where was this? This is in India, but it's in the north— West part of, uh, northeast part of India. All right. So it wasn't too far. And later, uh, when Dr. Edith Mary Brown retired, she retired in um, the northwest part, okay. which was right near China, right near mm-hmm. where uh, Francesca French. I was going to say, what, where did that connection come in? And okay. her sister yeah. were um, evangelizing. Okay, gotcha. And gotcha. so, um, I think it's so exciting when you find out that somebody else that we've looked at, yeah, uh, somebody, another woman worth knowing, yes, yes. <laughs> writes about a woman worth knowing. <laughs> I mean, that makes it super worth knowing. Well, and that's also interesting because if you guys remember when we talked about Mildred Cable and the French sisters, Mildred's more known as the writer of right. the group. So that's kind of cool that Francesca You know, it's interesting because yeah. I went online to buy this book, which is like a billion dollars because it's the of only course. one they can find. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to wait and search used bookstores in England. But what was interesting is there were uh, quite a few books written by uh, Francesca French because mm. I knew that about Mildred Cable. Yeah. Yeah. That's who usually people think of. So, wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Go so, Francesca. Yes. I know. I thought that was <laughs> so interesting. So I'm going to start with the spoilers. Oh, really? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. I know. It's a brave move. But I thought I'd start with the spoilers and then move into the story. Okay. She was the first woman to be admitted to the honors degree examination at the University of Cambridge for medicine. Ooh. And she passed. She was the first missionary to be knighted. Wow. So officially, she is Dame Edith Mary Brown. Interesting, huh? That's very cool. She opened the first medical training facility for women in India. She's almost a contemporary of Ida Scudder, just a little bit older than mm, Ida. Okay, okay. She received medals for her medical training books written in Urdu, Hindi, and Punjabi, all languages that she mastered and excelled in. Brilliant. Isn't that amazing? That is. So her story began in Whitehaven, Cumberland, which is on the west coast of England near the Lake District. Mm, pretty. And so she was the fourth of five sisters. But alas, when she was still young, her father died. Mm-hmm. And her mother didn't have any relatives living in that part of England. It was just like her in-laws. So she moved the girls all back to London to be near family. And so she was raised actually in London because her dad died, I think, when she was six. Uh, it's hard to say. It just kept saying when she was young, when she was young. Yeah, vague. <laughs> right. One of her sisters became a missionary. And this sparked an interest in Edith to become a missionary. She also had a penchant for medicine. Like she just was attracted to it and she loved it. Hmm. And so she had this idea, even when she entered into college, that she wanted to be a medical missionary. That was her objective even then. She graduated from the Girton College in Cambridge. 
I didn't even know there was such a thing until nope. I did this. <laughs> Before entering the London School of Medicine for Women in... Da, 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 da. And I'm only saying this because Jasmine has relatives in this part of the world. Where? Edinburgh. Ah, in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Lovely. Yes, <laughs> in my, Near where my sister lives. That's right. Sort of. So she received her medical degree in 1891 and left for India that same year. In November of that year, she was sent and sponsored by the Baptist Missionary Society. And at first, she landed in Bombay, and she worked with different uh, medical missions, but she wasn't quite finding her place. Then she got an invitation that was 560 miles north um, in Punjab. And this is an area in India where there's a large population at that time of both Muslims and Hindus. So imagine, again, this is 1891. This mm -hmm. is before the split between what we now know as Pakistan and India. Okay, it was right. when yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. One, one country. One yeah. country. So when she got to India, she was aghast. Don't you like that word? That's a great word. At the plight of women in India, mm -hmm. uh, no woman was allowed allowed to be treated by a man or someone, who, a doctor who was a man. And thus, the mortality rate and quality of life for women was quite poor. Mm -hmm. Immediately, she felt the need to educate and train Indian women to become midwives, nurses, and learn basic hygiene. At that time, by age-long tradition, the Orthodox Hindu, I'm quoting now, would on no account have the services of a medical man, whether trained in modern or in the ancient system of medicine, follow an India. She was dependent for help in her confinement on the services of the superstitious dye or nurse, who always of low caste and from a surgical point of view, unbelievably dirty. Mm. Trained Indian women doctors or nurses were almost unknown, and throughout the peninsula, only one or two women's hospitals existed. So we talked on an earlier program when we were featuring Ida Scudder about how primitive and deadly some of the superstitious treatments were. Do you remember yeah. they had that treatment of grinding glass? Yeah, yeah. Into a it's cup bizarre. and then smearing it on the eye for cataracts, and it— resulted in blindness, but there are other remedies that were even more lethal. Um, on that note, both Ida Scudder and Edith Brown were in India establishing medical schools and hospitals at the same time. Ida, as mm. we know, uh, was from America, Edith from England. Ida was in the uh, south. South, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And they were about 1,500 miles apart. Wow. I mean, India is huge, so there's definitely need for more than one hospital. Oh, it's I mean. <laughs> about, at this point, it was about 4 million square miles. Oh, my gosh. I mean, plenty yes. of room for hospitals. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. <laughs> we're not even talking in the interior of England. We're talking, you know, not too far from the coast. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah. settled in the north, one settled in the south. And so, as I said before, Edith served with various mission programs. But then she got this invitation with the Greenfield sisters. Oh. So the Greenfield sisters, again, ta-da-ta-da-ta-da, <laughs> they were from Scotland. Hey, how about that? And they were known as um, evangelists and educators. Oh, uh, one of them was actually a nurse. The other was more of an educator. But they felt this call to go to India. Mm. And they moved to India. They got a 
room near the Chara Bazaar in Ludhiana, and they opened their own dispenser. Dispensary? Yes. yes. Thank you. You're helping me. My, I'm a little tongue-tied. Those Indian names. They're it challenging. is. I, they are so challenging. <laughs> and there they gave advice, um, you know, medical kind of advice, and they taught classes on hygiene to women. But here's the problem. Even though I believe it was uh, Martha Rose, who was the nurse, uh, she didn't feel totally qualified to treat the people. She was mm. very, very careful. Mm. And they considered themselves more to be, as I said before, evangelists and educators. But when they heard about Edith Brown coming to India, they wrote her immediately and said, please come join us. So their mission was supported by a prayer team back in England and their family, and especially their wealthy brother. In fact, uh, when you read about the Greenfield sisters, it was actually their brother and their whole family that supported them there. How sweet. Yeah, they had a huge family. In fact, the Greenfield family became very notable in England, uh, producing doctors and lawyers and people who all uh, became quite uh, prestigious in society and for the good of mankind. I mean, just an amazing wow. family. In fact, their niece, Dr. Charlotte Rose Greenfield, would one day join them in the medical mission in India and actually take it over. Hmm. Next door to where they lived, there was an abandoned church, and the sisters purchased the church in order to turn it into a hospital. And that's when they wrote Edith uh, Brown hmm. uh, to ask her if she would work with them. So she went up to Ludwig. Hiana, um, to see uh, what it was like. And when she was there, uh, she decided, yes, this was where she felt most at home with these two Scottish sisters. So then they got a group together, and for three days they prayed and they strategized about how to help the women in India. The upshot was that they opened in January of 1894 a medical school and hospital for women. Um this was not the church. This was an actual school building. A woman in Bristol had sent 50 pounds, somehow had heard about uh, this endeavor, and sent 50 pounds, which isn't much. But Edith exclaimed when she got that money, the Lord sent the money, and I rejoiced. Mm -hmm. When the school opened, there are only four students and four staff meetings. Members And you already know three of the staff, right? You know Kay, you know Rose Greenfield, and you know about Edith. Mm. I don't know who the fourth person mm, was. The anonymous. Okay. Right. However, the school continued to grow until it was a full college with medical um, services, nursing, and pharmacy training, as well as a hospital with 200 beds. The school and hospital was run by women for women. Mm. Now, it was going well until in 1919, riots erupted in Ludhiana, and the hospital was in jeopardy. Mm. I mean, it was right in the middle of where all the riots were. Like what, were. like civil unrest kind of riots? Well, it actually, it was the British Raj in Punjab oh. uh, was the—here we go again—Jalianwala Bug massacre of 1919 mm, okay. and the british brigadier general r.e.h dyer marched 50 riflemen of the uh 9th gurkhas 54 sikhs and british uh 
at 59. Anyway, he ordered them to open fire on the crowd that had collected there. And the official number of deaths was given by the British as 379, but there were reported to be over a thousand people killed in this massacre. Yeah, they so, it under the rug a little. Right. They yeah. just opened fire on the crowd because they felt that there was unrest and in order to curb it and you know, what they felt was a riot, they just opened fire. Um, Man. There had been many Indian independence movements in Punjab, Punjab at the time as well. Um, and if you remember, I said there were a lot of Muslims and Pakistans living in the same countries, uh, same province, which mm-hmm. was Punjab. And so there was a lot of unrest there. Yeah. The school was officially recognized in 1915, four years uh, before the massacre. Dr. Brown had to write all the curriculum for the college, and she wrote it in the languages of Urdu, Hindi, and Punjabi. Amazing. Her handbook became known as the Bible for Indian Christian Midwives. And then it received a gold medal in 1922. In India? In wow. India. Mm-hmm. It was recognized in India, again, mm-hmm. as like the Bible of uh, nursing. Mm. And it, it became kind of the official book for uh, those who wanted to be midwives to study. In fact, um, midwifery was the career that the school focused on because it was really uh, in childbearing that most of the women were dying in India mm. and having their problems. And they felt if they could train women in midwifery, it would spare so many lives, including yeah. the children and the women. Now, interestingly enough, um, Dr. Edith Mary Brown was known for her plain dress, mm-hmm. and she always wore long skirts. In fact, they said she looked very Victorian mm-hmm. in her fashion. <laughs> she wore hair braided and twisted around her head, and she was said to be reserved, quiet, strict, fair, and disciplined. She maintained high spiritual and medical standards, and her favorite motto was, my work is for a king. So Sweet. they said she was really tireless. And you know, people would say, you know, don't you want to break or, you know, you're going to do something else? And she'd look at them and say, my work is for a king. My work is for a king. I just really love that. It's because such a great perspective. It yeah. is. And that's what she was known for. She was a gifted surgeon. Think about this. This is like 1915, you know, yeah. turn of the century. And here's this woman who is a gifted surgeon. But she hadn't done training for being a surgeon. She just learned how on her well, own? Medical college. I guess, okay, you know. so she covered the whole mm-hmm. gamut there. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was tireless, and she served on many councils and at different facilities, again, all for her king. So she was one of those women who walked through whatever door the Lord opened for her. And she felt like all of this, she did it for Jesus. She didn't mm-hmm. just do it to um, even help people, which is a wonderful motive, but she really did it ultimately for the Lord. Kind of reminds me of the Philippians, where Paul said of the Philippian believers that they first served the Lord and then others mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the Lord. And that was her way. Besides her handbook for midwives, Edith's friends compiled her poetry and prayers into a book called Meditations, Prayers, and Poems from the Bible of Dr. Edith Mary Brown. 
Cool. Mm-hmm. She was a prolific uh, poet. Mm-hmm. And um, I read one of her poems, and it was really, really um, beautiful. But she would write her poems not only in English, but mm-hmm. in Urdu or yeah, Punjabi no or, <laughs> you know, whatever the fancy was. <laughs> And those who knew her well always remarked on her unwavering faith in God. Mm. You know, it's interesting because Edith never married. She didn't. She was too busy with the work mm. in India um, to even consider it. In 1932, Edith was made Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. Mm. And I know I mentioned that earlier, but she was the first missionary to receive this award, and it was awarded by King George V. Mm-hmm. who was the grandfather of the present Queen Elizabeth. Yes. And maybe you remember King George V. He was married to the Queen Mary, after whom the ship, the Queen Mary, yes, is yes, yes. named. King Queen so mm-hmm. you know, I, I find that just so fascinating. And he had just come through uh, World War I. Right. Uh, and was handing out these you know, notable achievements. And maybe it was the war, World War I, that— made the British Empire begin to see the contributions of missionaries mm. to the British Empire. Right, I going it, over there and seeing in person. Yeah. Right. And I find it very interesting that they had never, ever uh, given this out to a missionary. Yeah, that is actually really surprising. You had Livingston, Mary Slessor. They were all very notable. But Hudson Taylor. Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. C.T. Studs. Like, yeah. You know, C.T. Who was Stutt. very famous. I yes. Mean, yeah, it's, yeah, that is kind of remarkable, But actually. they had never awarded it huh. until 1932. Wow. I know. Good for him. <laughs> Finally. I'm just thinking about the fact Finally. that he and Tsar Nicholas looked exactly alike. If anyone wants to look that up, that's kind of crazy. There's a reason. Anyways, sorry. Anyways, well, I just they, saw that. The they were day. cousins, right? Yes. They're, they're all cousins. from Queen Victoria. It's weird, guys. Royalty in Europe. <laughs> yeah, they're all interrelated. Yes. <laughs> I totally. Even Queen Mary comes from, um, uh, you know, aristocracy um, from a, from Queens. Was she, in fact, she was actually, I think, or, no, I she was okay. a cousin, though. She oh, was geez. actually one of his cousins. <laughs> and she was um, engaged to his brother first. King George, wow. this is so way off the subject. She was it's okay, a, it's fine. <laughs> engaged to George V's brother, but he uh, died. Mm. And let's see, he died of the flu. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. 1919, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then um, King uh, George V then became the monarch, and he actually married his brother's oh, fiance. Well, okay, that worked out. Stay in the family, I guess. That is. I think that's unfortunately what they know, did a lot. <laughs> right, you know, so many of those marriages were arranged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 totally. Just to keep the aristocracy the aristocracy. <laughs> so in 1942, at the age of 78, they asked her to step down from the oversight of the hospital. And she was extremely sad about this. It was really, really hard for Edith to do because she absolutely loved the hospital. Mm -hmm. She did not feel ready to retire. However, in hindsight, it was probably very wise. She continued to live in Punjabi until 1948, um, and she served as an advisor. But maybe you remember what happened five years later in 1947. 1947, Israel? No, well, 1948 is Israel. That's very good. (laughs) But in India, this is when the viceroy decided to um, divide India into Pakistan. In fact, it was Lord Montauban. But to divide India into a Pakistani Mm -hmm. 
country, uh, I'm sorry, into Pakistan, which would be a Muslim country, and India, that would be a Hindu country. Well, this caused a huge riot. I mean, it was terrible. And the place that probably it was uh, the most violent and the hardest hit was Punjabi because Punjabi itself, the province of Punjabi, was divided into east and west. Mm. And um, Muslims had to flee. Muslims who even worked at the hospital, they all had to flee for their lives and make it to Pakistan. And the Hindus in Pakistan had to flee for their lives um, out of Pakistan and leave their property behind mm. and move to India so wow. that they wouldn't be massacred. Traumatic. Yeah. Literally thousands upon thousands of people died. There was rioting. There was burnings. There were massacres. In fact, many of the buildings in Ludhiana were uh, ruined, decimated. And everyone was really, really concerned about the hospital. But no violence came to the hospital at all. Mm. It was completely spared. And everybody was absolutely shocked that it was um, spared. And the uprisings, they took place all around the hospital. However, the North Indian Hospital, which was what it was named at that time, remained intact and un touched. And it even became an emergency center for the injured. And it was treating both Muslims and Hindus that were injured in the riots um, or in the, you know, burnings of the buildings. It treated both. Now, Dr. Edith Brown um, at this point decided it was time to move. And it could have been even because of the violence. And the doors were open to her to move back to England to be with her family, but she chose to remain in India. In fact, in reading and studying about Dr. Edith Brown, I never read about one furlough, not one furlough. Now, she might have taken them, but they're not recorded. Right. And it seemed to me that she was so dedicated that she just made her whole life about living in India. And not only that, but when she decided to retire, she moved to Kashmir in northwest India in 1948. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lake there. It's the Lake Dahl or Dahl Lake. And she lived on a houseboat. Imagine this, because she's in her 80s. Oh my gosh. And she moves onto a houseboat right off the island of Gate in off in Dahl Lake. Now, there's three islands, and Dahl Lake, get this, is known for their houseboats. You know, I look up these little things separately, like, you know, what's the island of Gate? I don't know how you say it. You know, what's it like? So I look it up, and it says, oh, it's in Dahl Lake. It's in Kashmir. It's, you know, in the, you know, northwest corner of India, you know, near the uh, Tibet and the mm-hmm, border up mm-hmm, there. Nepal, yeah. Yes, and it was, but it was interesting because it was showing all these houseboats you could rent. There were actually sites. It's still a thing. Yes. (laughs) Yes, the houseboats are still a thing. And, you know, it was really tempting looking at some of those houseboats. (laughs) Um, I found it fascinating that the same way of life still exists today, Hmm. that people still live on houseboats and they rent them out and they live in a lake. You know, we think about houseboats, um, you know, in bays. Yeah. 
but I don't think of it so much. Well, you from Seattle, so you're used to a lot of houseboats. Right, right. But I don't usually think of them as a la- on a lake. But this is a really big lake. Yeah, it has three islands. Substantial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from there, she continued to do mission work. Now, again, she is in her 80s. Do you hear that? She's in her 80s. So she opens up what she called a Christian reading room. So a Christian reading room is not a Christian science reading room. But um, I did... Catherine Bushnell, uh, Dr. Catherine Bushnell, a couple weeks ago. And in those days, it was very popular in the late 1800s and the turn of the century in the 1900s to open up a room and invite women in if they had questions, if they wanted to hear worship. And it was considered a safe environment. And I don't know if you remember, but, you know, in the beginning of um, the, the sorry, 20th century, women weren't that safe. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any rights, and especially right. in India. So oh, yeah. to get the women um, by themselves in a protected environment where there uh, were no men was really a draw. So she actually rented this room, and she would go there, and she would teach the women every day. And she would invite mm-hmm. women to come and to hear the word of God. And then she would mm-hmm. you know, she would teach in either Punjabi or Urdu or you know, whatever— you whatever know, was necessary at whatever the time. Whatever was wow. necessary. Okay. And she would evangelize. Hmm. Um, she also recorded her Bible study messages. She would record Bible study um, messages, again, in Punjabi or Urdu, and she would put them um, on a little radio station and broadcast, which I found Good Amazing. for her at that age to In be willing 80s. to yeah, yes. use new technologies and okay. yeah. More than that. She discipled women by way of Bible correspondence. So the women who responded to the gospel, she would write them and strengthen them in the word and disciple them. She loved working in her garden. Now, I don't know what a garden looks like on a houseboat. Uh, <laughs> writing poetry and reading. She died at the age of 92 on her houseboat, <laughs> which she named Water Music. Okay. Isn't that kind of yeah. cute? Is that handle? Yeah. She once wrote, Lord, do with me what you will. Only use me in the service of others. Mm-hmm. And that was a prayer that it seems to me at least that the Lord abundantly answered. Yes, absolutely. You know, he used her in the service of others. By the 60th anniversary of Dr. Brown's arrival in 1951, um, the Indian College had graduated 411 doctors, 143 nurses, 168 pharmacists, and over 1,000 midwives. Wow. And it continues today. It's been adopted by India. It's a full-fledged medical college. And, in fact, it's considered, like Ida Scudder's, hmm. one of the finest medical colleges in India. Oh, that's so neat. Isn't I love that amazing? it. I know. What a fruitful life. You know, she reminds me of some of those other gals like Granny Brand. Remember yes. her? Who were just like, I'm not done. Yes. She just went for it and just— <laughs> Well, I just <laughs> to got her, very, too. I Ida, yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. There yeah. was just such a spirit of, like, I'm here to serve the Lord with every breath that I have. And this is what I want to do with my life is serve the—I work for a king. Yes, <laughs> I serve, serve the king. king. Exactly. So, anyway, that's that's it for um, Dr. Edith Mary Brown. Mm. Uh, but I'm thinking, you know, again, 
thank you, those of you who have written to us and given us suggestions of people that we should um, research Mm -hmm. and present on an episode of Women Worth Knowing. We are looking these women up. We're getting all the materials we possibly can. We are so excited. But again, if you have just a personal story of a woman who has touched your life in a special way and you want to send it to us, we would love to read some of those special stories, especially if they're short. We could introduce um, them at the beginning of the program or maybe end and say, here's a contemporary, you know, and we would love those. So if you send them in to wwk at cccm.com that's the email address or you can go on the website you can go to women.cccm.com and you'll find a link or cheryl's website graciouswords.com mm-hmm. it's on there too that's right and everywhere we, we <laughs> everywhere please 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 we want to hear these stories especially your personal stories or again if you have a recommendation we've gotten a couple recommendations that we did on the past mm-hmm. and because you asked for more we might go back at some point and revisit them and add some details Um, I had one friend that said to me, please, you always say, I'm not going to give you all the stories. Give us all the stories. Oh, gosh. Okay. So (laughs) at some point, Jasmine and I just might trade stories back and forth of some of our notables. But we have so many more women Mm. to highlight. We have our roster so full, and we are so excited about this. But any closing words? No, that was, I think that's just wonderful to see yet another, again, another woman worth knowing here and a great reminder too, like you can, again, like we just saw with her life, you can serve the Lord in any capacity all the way up to the very end. You're never really retired when you uh, serve the Lord. It just keeps going from adventure to adventure. I think that's so encouraging. That's right. So So. thank you again for joining us on this edition of Women Worth Knowing. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.